Alright, hopefully by this point you have found Jonah. If you need to use the table of contents, there is no shame in that, although I will judge you. So don't let me see you doing it. Terrible Christian has to use the... Uh, uh, table of contents. All right. Well, we are beginning a brand new series in uh, from the book of Jonah. We're going to be here for uh, the next four or five weeks uh, until uh, October. And uh, most everyone, even if you have never stepped foot in church before, you know the story of Jonah. And most everybody knows that Jonah is about a guy who got swallowed by a whale. Right? You, you go up to anybody, you go up to some random dude in Walmart be careful about doing that, but go up to some random dude in Walmart and say, hey, what is the story of Jonah about? He's going to say, a guy got swallowed by a whale. And in fact, the fact, Jonah getting swallowed by a whale is one of the most cited reasons that people don't believe the Bible. They'll go, well, you guys believe that some dude got swallowed by a whale. And, and, and they'll say, I can't believe that. And here's the thing. Can a man really get swallowed by a fish and survive? No. But if God is in it, anything is possible. That's why I had Eric read that verse this morning. Um, and that's where most people stop. They stop at Jonah getting swallowed by a whale. I mean, some of them will be like, yeah, and then he got barfed out, right? And they'll, they'll do that kind of thing. They know that story, but they don't really know what came after that. Because there's so much more to the story than, than just that part. So as we will see, as we dive into this book, Unintended. Y'all need to wake up this morning because I'm like, I'm like dropping jokes. Like I'm like, uh, John, y'all need to check your heart. That's what it is. Check your heart. All right. As we dive into this short but powerful book, Jonah is about more than just a dude who got swallowed by a whale. It's about a loving God, a disobedient prophet, and the need for us as believers to re-examine our priorities when it comes to sharing the gospel with others particularly people who may not look like us or who may not be just like us. It is my prayer that over the next few weeks, that the next few weeks, that it will challenge us, that it will grow us, and it will cause us to respond in faith to things that God is calling us to, even if it means a radical change from the way that we've always done things. So let's pray. We're going to, and then we'll, uh, I'm going to try it again. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. Okay, thank you. That was, that was pathetic, but all right, we'll go with it. Um, I appreciate the pity. All right, let's pray, and then we'll go for it. Father God, we ask you to uh, be with our time, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds, Lord. I know as I was uh, studying for this, there were many times where I had to, I had to stop and, um, and, and pray and ask you to, uh, to, to forgive me as I was... Um, being convicted of the things that, that I was seeing in Scripture. And Lord, I pray that the same uh, would be true today, that we wouldn't just think, oh, he's telling a good story, I love this story, um, but that we would, we would truly have the Holy Spirit open our eyes to, to what the Scripture is saying. Lord, uh, be with us, help us to be more like your Son. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, let me read. Um, there are three things that we're going to see from this. Uh, and the first slide, of Joey, if you want to get it up there, is the characters of Jonah. So let me read chapter, um, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, 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 and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. 
Now, as we, as we begin this, uh, there are two characters that we're going to find in the book of Jonah. Two very important characters that we need to know about to understand why this book goes the way it does and why Jonah res- responds the way that he does. The first one, obviously, is Jonah. Now, Jonah, he was a prophet of God. And the second one is the city of Nineveh. Now, I, this is... Um, this is, this is kind of, uh, I don't know what this says about me. I did not know that Jonah had been on the scene before you get to the book of Jonah. Sometimes as you're reading, like you read the book of Haggai, if you've read the book of Haggai, raise your hand if you've read the book of Haggai. A couple of you. All right. I don't want to call anybody out. How many of you have heard of the book of Haggai? Okay. Some of you have. Good. Um, but Jonah was actually a prophet in Israel, like Jonah is not the first time that he pops on the scene. Jonah was actually a, a prophet on in Israel, working of, on behalf of God. Um, in Second uh, Kings chapter fourteen, verse twenty-five, it says this: He restored Israel's border from Lebo Hamath. They're talking about a king here, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel had spoken through his servant, the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, from Gath Hepher. All right, so we got, we got Jonah, and Jonah is a prophet, and, and, and the prophets were good dudes. They were the ones that were the messengers for God. And as you read through the Old Testament, you see prophets all over the place. They were people like Elijah, Elisha. Uh, Isaiah, who we've looked at in his book, Isaiah. Um, there was, a, there was a Samuel, which we looked at in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, as, as you read through that. Uh, there was also Jonah. He was one who came and he would, um, God would use them to preach a message of repentance or a message of judgment, hopefully leading to repentance. So that's our first character is Jonah. The second character, the second players in here are the Ninevites. And I really struggled with how much I want to say about the Ninevites because they were some bad, bad people. Like, you think the worst possible thing that you could do to a human being, the things that the Ninevites did were so much worse. And I talked it over with Tina, and she said, don't even bother to share any of those things. Go and do some research. Have a, have a, a bucket next to you because you're going to be nauseous afterward. Um, but the Ninevites, they lived in, uh, they got that name because they lived in the city of Nineveh, and they belonged to the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were the economic powerhouse during this time, but they were also extremely cruel militarily. So they would go out and they would raid the nations around them in order to, 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 to gather power and stuff. Um, they were an extremely evil people, and their evil was about to be addressed by God. That's, that's to set the context. In Nahum chapter 3, uh, here is just a, a description that, um, of the city of Nineveh. It says, woe to the city of blood. Doesn't sound like a place you want to go, right? If you're being referred to as the city of blood, now it could be contradictory like the city of Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. Those are the people that pelt Santa with batteries. Philadelphia is the worst city on the planet, just so we're, we're clear, all right? Totally deceitful, full of plunder, never without prey. The crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping of horses and jolting chariot, charging horsemen, flashing swords, shining spear, heaps of slain, mounds of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over their dead. This is a description of the city of Nineveh. Sounds like a place that we should book a cruise to go visit, right? 
And like I said, I'm not gonna go into all of the gruesome details. I think the scripture did that enough for us. Um, know that the consequences for the deeds that they had done, what, was, what God was about to bring to them was well-deserved, all right? People were gonna look at it and go, hey, look, man, they got what they, they, got what they had coming to them. Um, but before we start getting too self-righteous, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, we need to remember that every one of our sins, regardless of how big or how small, how simple we think it is or how grotesque it may be, no matter how big or small, is deserving of judgment and is deserving of hell, right? And that's where Jesus came in. Aren't we glad that Jesus came in and, and, and by trusting him, we can have our sins forgiven? Now, one of the primary targets of the Ninevites, as they were always going out and doing this, were the people of Israel. Israel was located to the south of Assyria. So the Assyrians were constantly raiding and brutalizing the nation of Israel. They were constantly going at them. Jonah was well aware of the viciousness that the Ninevites were, were enacting on his people. It's very possible that he had witnessed it firsthand or even had some friends or loved ones who had been victims of the Ninevites. It's easy to understand and empathize with Jonah. But sometimes I think it's easy for us to look down on Jonah for what he did. All right, we, 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 we're sitting here in church and we see, uh, as we're going to see here in a second, God tells Jonah to, to get up and go to Nineveh. These horrible, wicked people, dead bodies laying all over the city. God says, listen, I'm about to send judgment on Nineveh. I need you to go preach to them. And you know the story. I'm going to read the verse here in a second. What does Jonah do? He goes, Nineveh's this way. I'm headed this way. All right? And it's easy for us here in church in 2018 to look down our nose at Jonah. To look down and say, well, Jonah, why didn't you just listen to God, right? Why, why didn't you follow what God told you to do? Didn't you have faith in God? So my question for you is, what would you do if God told you to go and tell other people about the gospel? To tell them that there's a judgment waiting for them if they don't repent of their sins, you're sitting in the pew right now, or you're sitting at home, and God shows up and says, hey, I need you to go tell this, these people about the judgment that's coming and how they, can, how they can escape that judgment. Here's the thing. God's already done that. Right? We can't sit here and be like looking down at Jonah for not following God's commands because God's already given us that command. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20 says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I looked this up in the Greek. Nowhere in my Greek New Testament does it say, go if you feel like it. Go if it's convenient to you. Go if it fits your personality type. Jesus said, go. Right? Just like God told Jonah to go, Jesus told his disciples and you and me, because we are his disciples, to go. There are, no, there are no ways out. There are no loopholes. There's nothing. It is simply go and tell others about the gospel. So are you listening? How many of us have invited someone to church this week? All right, I'm stomping. I, 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 got, I got a sledgehammer out. I'm just going to smash toes, including my own. How many of us invited someone to church this week? How many of us told someone about the gospel this week? We can look down on Jonah, but too often, myself included, we do the same thing. God tells us to do something, and we go the other direction. 
How about us as a church? All right? I, we, so I, I talk about us individually. I talk about us as a church because we are a body. When we come together, we are the body. What would we do if God called us to do something that was totally different than anything we had ever done before? All right? What if God was calling us to do something that was completely different than the way that we've always done it? All right? Would we listen? As a church, as Grace Baptist Church here in Shenandoah Junction, would we listen if God was calling us to do something different? All right? What if God called us to change something about the way we do church? All right? One day we changed the order of service. People lost their minds. All right? What if God called us to do something completely radical to the way we do it? What if it was to add another church service? All right? If you look around, we still have some seats. But I'm praying that these seats start to get filled up. What if God said, here's what you need to do. You need to add another service. Would we listen? All right? What if God led us to change the style of music that we use? We've already changed it a little bit. I can't imagine that that was an easy thing to do. But what if God called us to change it a, a little bit more? What if it meant changing the way that our building looks? What if it meant changing the outside or changing the inside? Would we be willing to listen to what God is calling us to do? All right. Or what if God told us it was time for us to reach our community? And in order to do that, we had to move our location. Would we be willing to listen to God or would we beat feet to Tarshish? Those are tough questions to answer. All right. The second thing, moving past that from the characters of Jonah, is we're going to see the sin of Jonah. Now, beginning in verse 3, I'm not going to read this whole passage because this is the rest of the chapter. But it said this. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Jonah heard God's command and he thought about it long enough to get his running shoes on and took off in the other direction. He laced up those uh, Under Armour shoes that he got from a uh, finish line for $29.99. I saw them in my email this morning. He laced them up and he hit the bricks. But instead of going to Nineveh, he's beating feet going this direction, trying to get as far away from God's presence as he possibly could. Here's the most remarkable thing about fleeing to Tar from Israel to Tarshish, though, is that Jonah actually thought he could get away from God. He thought he could get away from God's face. That's why I called this message running from God's face. Here's the thing, though. Psalm 100, chapter, ah, let me start over. Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8 say this. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. No matter where we try to go to escape God's presence, no matter where we go to try to escape the commands that God gives us, guess what? God is going to be there in his open rebellion against God. And that's exactly what Jonah was doing. He was rebelling against God, right? We, we saw, I mean, we looked at 1 first, uh, first Kings, I'm sorry, 2 Kings 14, and we saw that Jonah was close to God because God was using him as a prophet. But here's the thing. You are never farther from God than when you're close to him and you tell him no. Let me say that again. You are never farther from God than when you've been close to him and you tell him no. And that's exactly what Jonah did. He told him no. Jonah, in his open rebellion, Jonah deluded himself into thinking that he could escape the presence of God. Thankfully, 
If you're a child of God, if you're God's child, there is no place that you can go to get away from God. He may have also convinced himself that he was doing the right thing because they, there just happened to be a boat waiting for him. He got to Tarshish, and he's looking around and just so happens to see a boat. J.D. Greer, who's the president of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, he's also a pastor of Summit Church down in uh, North Carolina, he wrote this. He says, if you want to run from God, there will always be a ship ready to take you to Tarshish. If you are trying to get away from God, there's always going to be a way to do it. Like Jonah found a ship to take him from God, we will always find a way to give in to our temptations. That's one of Satan's favorite things to do, right? If you want to have an affair, Satan's going to make sure that there's a willing partner waiting for you. If you want to become addicted to substances, Satan's going to make sure they are readily available. If you want to give in to greed, Satan will make certain that there are business opportunities that will pull you away from God's will. And as a church, Satan will always be standing right there waiting to remind you that's not the way we've always done it. Satan will always be there with a way to take you out of God's will. When Jonah rebelled against God, he was no longer a blessing to the people around him. As you continue reading through here, what you'll see is, let, let me pick it up, uh, verse 4. It says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile... Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had, excuse me, and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Jonah was no longer a blessing to the people around him. Instead, he had made himself to be a curse to the sailors on the boat. Jonah 1.4, which we just read, tells us that God sent a great storm that threatened to destroy the ship. And this must have been some storm because the sailors, whose job it was to sail on the ocean and deal with these storms, the Bible tells us they were afraid. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's, it's a number of years old. It's called The Perfect Storm. It had uh, George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg and all those. All right? And at the end, there's this little, there's this massive wave, and there's this little itty-bitty ship, right? And, and, and as they're going up, and, and essentially that's the end of the movie. I'm like, oh, man, that's, 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 that's a bummer, right? Because nobody made it out. But one of the things that I noticed about this is that throughout that, the movie, and I know they're actors, I get it, none of them seem to be afraid of the storm. So this must have been some kind of crazy storm for these sailors to be upset. And what did it drive them to do? It caused them to cry out to their gods. It didn't say they cried out to God. It says they cried out to their gods. In the midst of their desperation, they began to seek help from a higher power. This should have been the perfect opportunity for Jonah to come up and say, hey, let me tell you what's going on. Let me speak to you about the God that I serve. Because up until he said no, Jonah had been boys with God. Right? They, he had been following and had been close to God, doing exactly what God had told him to do. But where was Jonah? He was fast asleep, completely oblivious to the desperation that was taking place in the lives of the people around him. The same thing can happen to us. When we are far from God or rebelling against God, we become oblivious, completely oblivious to the needs of those dying around us. It becomes all about our comfort and what makes us happy. Our worship becomes about us. 
just like Jonah, we fall asleep while the rest of the world is dying around us. Romans 13, 11, and 12 says this. This is Paul writing. He says, besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than we when we first believed. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to begin sharing the gospel because the time is nearer than we thought it was. You ever sat down and you're like, oh, I got a couple minutes, and you sit down, and the next thing you know, you're five minutes late? It's exactly the, what Paul is referencing here. Verse 12 says, the night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So as this is going on, the captain of the ship goes down and he sees Jonah and he says, dude, you got to wake up, man. What is, your, what is your deal? What is going on? Wake up and start praying to your God. And eventually the, the sailors, as they're going through, they're, they're doing all of their uh, pagan worship and stuff. They decide to cast lots and the lots point to Jonah. They're trying to figure out whose fault this is. Why is the storm, why are the gods of the sea trying to destroy them? And they find out that it's Jonah's fault. And they go, what in the world did you do, man? Because you've obviously done something horrible in order to get the sea to come at you like this. And Jonah, Jonah faced with that. Jonah came clean that he was a prophet of God, that he had looked God in the face and said no, and then took off running. And this scared them even more. Like, they, they, they were not believers, but they could not believe that there was somebody who could look at God, hear the clear command of God, and say, I'm not going to follow it. That scared them even more. They may not have believed, been the believers, but they understood the futility of trying to escape God. Faced with trying to outrow God, you can't do it, by the way. You can't outrun God. You can't outrow God. Faced with trying to do that, the sailors turned again to Jonah to ask what needed to be done. Jonah told them that in order to save themselves, they needed to pick him up, throw him overboard, and all would be well. And the sailors looked at him and said, you are out of your mind. All right, We're already going to die because of something that you've done, and now you want us to be guilty of killing you? You are out of your mind. But they realized that that was the only way that, that, that they could save themselves. And the scripture tells us that they began to pray. Uh, let me read it to you. Verse uh, 16, it says this. I'm sorry, let me start in verse 14. Uh, chapter 1, it says, So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood. Don't let us die because of this fool. And don't, ma don't make us guilty of the fact that we have to do this. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Instantly, the ocean was calm and everything went back to normal. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. There are two things that we need to learn from this part of the story. First, as we, see, as we, we come to the end of that story there, the first thing we need to see is that your disobedience will always affect other people. Again, this was something we talked about in Sunday school this morning. Our sin will affect those we love and those who depend on us. We don't sin in a bubble, all right? There's, there's, no, there's no isolation. When you sin, it will have ripple effects throughout your family. It will have ripple effects throughout your church family, 
all right? When we come together as a body, those of us that sin, it affects everything. Think about the story of uh, Achan in, uh, in the book of Joshua. Our failure to walk with God is having devastating effects on our family, our churches, and our communities. I'm going to talk to men for just a second because I've been doing a lot of reading. Guys, when we fail to walk with God, it has a devastating effect on our family because our children look to us. And if they see that God does not have an important place in our lives, it's not going to have an important place in their life. When we are not leading our families well, it has devastating effects on our family. It has devastating effects on our community. You can look across the landscape and see all of the broken homes. And all of that can be stemmed back to the fact that men were not leading their families well. When we don't love our wives well, it has devastating effects on our families. It has devastating effects on our community. Our sin doesn't just affect us, it affects everything. That's, that's the first thing that we see here. Jonah thought that running would only affect him, but it nearly destroyed every sailor on that ship. The second thing, God will send storms into our lives to break us free from self-reliance. Now, this doesn't mean that all of our suffering is God trying to get our attention. There are people who get sick, and that comes from the fact that we live in a broken world. It goes back to Adam not leading his family well, all right? We live in a broken world, and that's why people get sick. But there are times, um, there are times when God brings storms into our lives because we are running from him, because we are depending on ourselves. God is trying to send us the message that if we stop fighting, if we stop running, if we just relax and submit to him, we'll be saved. That if we stop running and trying to get away from the things that God is telling us to do, if we listen and start obeying, it's going to lead to our salvation from that situation. Fight, and it will kill you, and likely those around you. Turn to God, and you'll be saved. The third thing, and then this is my favorite part of this passage. This is my favorite part of the passage. Jonah chapter, uh, we're going to look at the love of God. Now, I told you at the beginning there were two characters in this, uh, in this book. There's Jonah and there's the Ninevites. But there's a third character. He's kind of, kind of on the periphery, and that's God. And God, I said he was on the periphery, let me change that. God is throughout this entire book. You cannot go anywhere in the book of Jonah without seeing God and God being on display. The third character is God, and it, this God is a loving God. God's love is on display in many different ways, but there are two specific ways that God's love is on display here in chapter one. The first is seen in Jonah chapter one, verse two. Let me read it to you again. This is the command that, Jonah gave, or that God gave to Jonah. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Now you're probably thinking, Jonathan, how does that display God's love? All right, it says, it says that their evil has come up against me. And because their evil has come up against them, God was about to bring judgment on Nineveh. God was going to, uh, and eventually down the road, God does destroy Nineveh. They're completely wiped off the planet because of their wickedness and their evil. Um, 
The first way is God's command to Jonah to go preach repentance to the city of Nineveh. Remember, this was a group that was known for their atrocities. They were brutal, awful people who glorified the brutality and senseless violence that they committed on their targets. They would rejoice and sing songs about the awful things that they would do. Because of their sin, God was going to bring judgment on them. They were about to get what they deserved. We often feel that way, right? Like those people are about to get what they deserve. Sometimes we watch the news and, and, and we, we see uh, news reports about um, uh, military strikes that have taken place overseas. And the first thought that pops in our head is, yeah, they got what they deserve. They got what they deserve. I don't think anyone in Israel was going to turn on the news that night and hear about the destruction of Nineveh and shed a tear over the fact that the Ninevites were being judged by God. But guess who was upset about this? God was upset. God was about to bring judgment on the Ninevites, but he wasn't happy about it. And the, re and, and, and the way that we know this is he was sending Jonah to preach to them. They were an awful, horrible group of people, but God looked down and said, those are my creation. I made them in my image, and I'm going to do everything that I can to keep them from receiving the judgment that they deserve. God had created the Ninevites, and he wanted them to repent. The same is true for you and me. God made us, and even though there was a time where we were enemies of God, let that sink in for a second. We were enemies of God. Not just we were ambivalent to God. We were full on at war with God. God sent his son to die for us so that we could have the opportunity to repent and turn from our wickedness. In Romans chapter 5, it says this, verses 6 and 8. It says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. Verse 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The second display of God's love is seen in Jonah 1.17. Let me read that to you. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And again, you're probably scratching your head and going, Jonathan, how in the world is Jonah getting swallowed by a fish, a display of God's love? Let me explain it to you. When, God, when Jonah demanded that he be thrown overboard, he was not doing it to be a martyr. Sometimes we portray Jonah as being a martyr, like, oh, guys, we're all going to die, but maybe if I die... Everything will be okay. So I will lay down my life. I'll lay my life down, and, and that way you'll be saved, right? Sometimes, sometimes I've heard preachers portray Jonah like that. That wasn't Jonah's reason for doing this. Jonah was a selfish person. You know you can see his selfishness because he looked at an entire city of people, and he beat feet the other direction. He, he took off running. Jonah looked at the situation, and he said, you know what? If I die... I don't have to go to Nineveh. I can't go to Nineveh if I'm dead, 
right? I can't, uh, there, there's an old comedy routine. Uh, uh, I won't say his name because he's kind of fallen out of favor with people. Um, but he's talking about football players and how the team that they're going up against is so much bigger and stronger. And uh, so some of the people on the team start taking off their uniforms and their pads and they're like, I can't play naked. I can't play naked, right? Jonah's, uh, I, that was probably really inappropriate, wasn't it? <laughs> Jonah, said, Jonah thought to himself and said, I can't follow God's direction if I'm dead. Hey guys, I got an idea. Throw me in the water. Throw me in the water. I, I will die. I don't have to. They're going to kill me anyway, so I might as well just die here. I'll go out on my own terms. And God looked down and saw, even in the midst of Jonah's selfishness, he wasn't doing it to bring glory to God. He wasn't doing it to, bring, to save these sailors. It was completely about Jonah. Even in the midst of that, God looked down and said, Jonah, I'm not done with you yet. We're still going to get this done. And so what he did was rather than let Jonah drown in the ocean, rather than let Jonah die in the midst of his selfishness and running from God, the Lord sent a great fish. A friend of mine, I was talking with him about this. He said, you can see God's love in this because God could have sent a shark. All right? He could have sent a shark, but instead he sent a fish to, to swallow him. Even in the midst of the rebellion, God showed his love by sending that great fish. Jonah was going under for the last time, like a scene from Finding Nemo, and a great fish swoops in and swallows him. I don't imagine he tried to speak whale to it like Dory did, but it, you, know, you can think that if you want to. There was a message to be delivered, and there was a servant that needed to be changed. Jonah was shown God's love, probably not in the way he wanted, probably not in the way he expected, um, I was talking with Tina about this, and I said, sometimes God rescues us, and it looks like a scene from TV. There's, there's bright lights, and everything is nice and soft, and sometimes God rescues us, and it smells like an outhouse at the state fair, right? Sometimes it, it, it goes down great, and other times God shows us his love, and you're kind of like, oh, I'm not sure if this is the right way. Our God is a loving God. Even when we completely reject him and turn our backs on him, he will always be there pulling you back to him. It may be messy and it may be uncomfortable, but it is how he shows us that we are one of his children. Proverbs chapter three, verse 12 says this, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. Now, as we've seen, Jonah is about more than a man who was swallowed by a whale. It's about a loving God who did some miraculous things to save his creation. Knowing that Nineveh was going to be judged for their wickedness, God looked at their sin and sent Jonah to give them the opportunity to repent. Even though Jonah willfully rejected his command, God sent a fish to save Jonah when he was literally at his lowest point. The same is true for us. God looked at the greatness of our sin knowing that we deserve judgment and sent Christ to die in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. Jesus received the judgment that was meant for us. But the book of Jonah is also about a servant who was unwilling to be obedient to God. Jonah had been used mightily by God in the past, but he was running from God because the new mission was not something that he had done before or that he was willing to do. It was a gut check moment for Jonah 
And sadly, he failed it. God said, I want you to do this. Jonah had followed God in the past, but when it became something that was too difficult or that was going to take him out of his comfort zone, Jonah said, no, I'm not going to follow that. Are we willing to trust God and follow his commands even when it may stretch us and even when it's scary? We looked in uh, 2 Samuel today, one of the verses, David says, I'm not going to make a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. Are we willing to say that? Are we willing to be like David and say, I'm not, I'm not willing to do something unless it costs me something? Are we willing to step out in faith even when it means going in an unknown direction? Jonah fled from the presence of God because he loved his way more than he loved God's way. Let me say that again. Jonah fled from the presence of God because he loved his way more than he loved God's way. So the question on the table for us is, which way are we willing to go? Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you would be with us as we, um, as, we've, as we digest the things that we've just looked at here in the scripture. And, um, Lord, you called Jonah to do something and he was unwilling to step out in that direction. He was unwilling to go and do the thing that you called him to do. And Father, there are so many times where you have called us as individual believers to do something, and it's a gut check moment for us, and sadly, we say no, and we turn and we start going down to Tarshish. We start, we start going away, trying to get away from your presence. Lord, there are the times where us as individuals do that. There are times where we as a church have done that, and there are times where in the future we may do that. So Father, I pray that you would, you would be with us, that you would guide us, that you would lead us and help us to make choices even when they're difficult, even when they're scary, even when we're faced with going to a people group that is known for their brutality or going and doing something that we've never done before. Lord, something that, that may stretch us and may cause us to have faith and may be uncomfortable and it may not be just a short-term uncomfort, uncomfortableness, but it may be cause some, some pain that in the long term... Um, brings great fruit. Lord, uh, sometimes uh, I was talking with my friend, uh, my friend Keith this week, and he was talking about his daughter or her son having to give blood and how it, in the short term there was pain, but in the long term it was going to be better for him. Lord, help us as, we, help us as individuals, help us as a church that even though there may be things that come in our future that are going to cause short-term pain that, that, may in the, may, that will down the road, cause or bring long-term benefit help us to be willing to follow you to trust you to know that that you are sovereign and you are completely in control even if it means we have to let go of our comfort in order to reach the people that you are calling us to reach and father i pray that you would uh be with each one of us as we digest this lord there may be things that we need to lay down before you there may be things that we need to surrender uh, i was l l learning a lot about surrender this week lord Lord, there may be things that we need to surrender. Maybe it's situations at work. Maybe it's situations with a relationship. Whatever we may need to lay down at your feet, Lord, help us to do that, knowing that by not doing that, we are turning our back on you and trying to escape your presence. Father, I pray that you be with us as we continue our service, as we prepare to um, remember your sacrifice through the Lord's service. Um, be with us now as we do that. We ask this in your beautiful name. And all God's people said, amen.